Welcome, welcome. I'm Amanda Mortensen, and this is Yoga Wellness Money. Hey, thanks for joining us. We have a really fun topic today, and it is the whole debate between pursuing your passion and doing a traditional career nine-to-five type of job. And I know that the um, trend right now is to really kind of shirk the the corporate grind and do your own thing and start your own business. And I love the idea. I really do. I just wonder if on some level it doesn't give people a feeling of guilt or shame that have traditional jobs that are, you know, in a profession or career that requires them to work for another person and that there is really like nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, I would love to know what the statistics are on those that venture to do something on their own versus those that do it and are successful at it and are able to make a viable uh, financial future out of that choice. So I want to read something. It's from an article called Managing Oneself by Peter F. Drucker. It was published in a Harvard Business Review and has since become a classic, so I purchased it at the airport. I love the airport. I go wander the business section of the airport and see what fun little books, I don't know, it seems like things appear at airport uh, bookstores that I don't normally see or notice at a regular bookstore or library. So this section is on page 30, and it's called, Where Do I Belong? A small number of people very early knew where they belong. Mathematicians, musicians, and cooks, for instance, are usually mathematicians, musicians, and cooks by the time they are four or five years old. Physicians usually decide on their careers in their teens, if not earlier. But most people, especially highly gifted people, do not really know where they belong until they are well past their mid-20s. By that time, however, they should know the answers to three questions. What are my strengths? How do I perform? And what are my values? And then they can can and should decide where they belong. Or rather, they should be able to decide where they do not belong. The person who has learned that he or she does not perform well in big organizations should have learned to say no to position in one. The person who has learned that he or she is not a decision maker should have learned to say no to a decision making assignment. A general patent who probably never learned this himself should have learned to say no to an independent command. Equally important, knowing the answer to these questions enables a person to say an opportunity and offer to an opportunity offer or assignment. Yes, I will do that. But this is why I should be doing it. This is why it should be the way it should be structured. This is the way the relationship should be. These are the kinds of results you should expect from me and in time frame because this is who I am. Successful careers are not planned. They develop when people are prepared for opportunities because they know their strengths, their method of work, and their values. Knowing where one belongs can transform an ordinary person, hardworking and competent but otherwise mediocre, into an outstanding performer. What should I contribute? Throughout history, the great majority of people never had to ask this question. What should I contribute? They were told what to contribute, and their tasks were dictated either by the work itself, as it was for the peasant or artisan, 
or by a master or mistress as it was for domestic servants. And until very recently, it was taken for granted that most people were subordinates who did as they were told. Even in the 1950s and 60s, the new knowledge workers, the so-called organization men, looked to their company's personnel department to plan their careers. Then in the late 1960s, no one wanted to be told what to do any longer. Young men and women began to ask, what do I want to do? And what they heard was the way to, to contribute was to, quote, do your own thing. But this solution was wrong, as wrong as the organization men's had been as well. Very few people who believed that doing one's own thing would lead to contribution, self-fulfillment, and success achieved any of the three. Okay, so that is the main quote. So I'm going to read it one more time. Very few of the people who believed that doing one's own thing would lead to con- contribution, self-fulfillment, and success achieved any of the three. He goes on to just sort of say, what should my contribution be to answer it, they must address three distinct elements. What does the situation require? Given my strengths, my way of performing, and my values, how can I make the greatest contribution to what needs to be done? And finally, what results have to be achieved to make a difference? For all of you out there that are working for somebody else, I think that is an absolute noble use of your time, energy, and talents, especially if you have found a position that utilizes your strengths or you are kind of educating or training towards getting to things that are more in your strength zone. For me, when I was young, I used to be a receptionist when I was in college. I would be a receptionist. I would answer phones and people yelled at me a lot and I deserved it. I was horrible at writing down phone numbers. I would transpose numbers yeah, that was kind of the biggest thing. But that's kind of the most important thing if you are a um, receptionist. Another thing is I always was told when to be at work, told when I could leave work. And I just figured out really early on that I'm pretty self-motivated and I wanted to be the boss. I wanted to decide when I went to work and when I left and... So I did. I chose a career. I chose, you know, to go to law school and become a lawyer so I could on some level have more control over my day. I it wasn't so important for me to get in at 7:59 so I could start answering phones at 8 a.m. on the dot. Um you know, if I transposed a number, my secretary probably has the contact information in her system anyway. I just kind of knew my strengths were towards um, reading, writing, researching, doing large, large agreements that usually are intimidating to people. doesn't phase me at all. So I kind of went towards where my talents were, and I've been compensated for that. It's not to say that that will always be where we want to be. I'm definitely in a fork in my road right now trying to decide what I want to do next. I've been practicing law for well over 15 years, and I'm ready to look around and see what other skills, interests, and talents I have. 
And hence, this podcast is just kind of me trying to do something, which is something actually Peter recommends in his article, which is start developing a parallel interest or career. So by the time you retire, you have another place to jump over to, your nonprofit, your passion project, your pet project, and make it more of a full-time thing. And that's what I want to really champion about working in a traditional role. Because there are some benefits. Let's say you're making... 60,000 a year or 50,000 a year. Well, if you go out and have your own business, you probably have to make over 100,000 a year and after expenses to be able to pay yourself 50,000 a year. I mean, I might be exaggerating, but you know, if you, as you buy goods and services and then resell them or as you provide knowledge, you know, things that keep your costs down definitely can make your profit higher. But you know, it's a lot of sales, marketing, and that's a skill unto itself. So the one benefit of being in a company and having a traditional job and a traditional role is A, your income is predictable, not guaranteed, but definitely for the time you're working, it's fairly predictable. Um, did I say one or A? (laughs) So two or B is you can put away into your company uh, retirement plans. So hopefully that's an option for you. And I'll tell you what, especially if you are female, I would recommend the minute you hit your first job and have that option to put away into a company's 401k or Roth, you start maxing that out. Because... As a woman, oftentimes we have less predictable uh, life cycles in our career. We get married or have children or take breaks or care for aging parents. There's usually something that's a little, can end up being a little more start and go in a woman's working life. Not to mention the 30 cent an hour pay gap, which over the course of a working lifetime, totals 10 years of lost income. I just read that in an article. Don't get me started. But those things combined really make it so that as a woman in the workforce, as a woman trying to plan her own financial future, that you be really careful and wise about your A, living expenses, like You know, don't get as big of a house as the bank tells you you can get. Don't put things on credit cards. Um, Don't spend money you don't have. Live well below your means and always have a pad, you know, a buffer that you use to save and put away and are contributing to retirement because you are going to have, statistically speaking, starts and stops in your career, and you're going to make less than the same work in your male counterpart. So all that tells me is if the going advice is to, you know, contribute 15%, well, guess what? Back when I started working, the maximum you could contribute was 20% up to the cap of, at the time, it was probably around twelve to 14000 
So I would contribute 20% of my income, and it was always my goal to max out. Now, eventually, uh, the IRS pulled the cap. You can contribute 100% of your paycheck if you wanted to, to a retirement account and defer all those taxes until you retire, which isn't a bad idea if you have a spouse that works and then you just want to get a job so that you can make sure you're maxing out for that future. I just want to say, if you are working, if you're in a career right now, if you have other uh, passions, ideas, interests, and aren't quite sure how you're going to parlay that into a money venture, don't worry about it right now. Just start doing an hour or so a day or four or five hours on the weekend and just start doing something towards your passion project because that is going to make you feel happier. You're going to feel more content with your working life. Um, I remember my first really big job as um, an assistant general counsel. And I worked, you know, I think most people left at five. I only worked until about six. But then I would go home and I would change into my dance clothes and I would head to the studio and I would take an hour and a half to three hours of classes, clear until 9.30 or 10 at night at a studio that uh, was for adults. So, or also taught adults, I should say. And just dancing three days a week, uh, Monday, Wednesdays, and Saturdays, I just felt so invigorated and so in touch with like what I really was passionate about, which was dance, which, you know, my mom told me, uh, we're not paying for college for you to go and get a dance degree. You better get a degree that will pay you some money. And I sort of resented that for a long time. But now that I'm an adult and looking back, I don't, I don't begrudge that anymore because I did have um, a traditional career. It helped me plan my future, my life. I was able to do it on the side. And quite frankly, by the time I was 32, my hips and my joints hurt so much, I couldn't even dance anymore. And that was my transition into yoga. So I could just be more gentle on my body. And so I have immersed myself in yoga and I love that so much. But again, some people have a calling to be yoga teachers and have studios and you know, and that's where they find their passion. Or some people are lucky enough and they're in a situation married where the husband truly does make enough money and can set aside for retirement and that's taken care of. And so you have the freedom to sort of pursue the ideal, you know, if money weren't an object, what would you do? But I'll tell you, if you are ever in situations where you are single or you are a joint income earner and you're relying on both of your incomes or anything like that, you really need to be conscientious and kind of flip the question of how can I make it profitable or how can I earn a living first instead of trying to tack that on as a, an aside question that doesn't matter because it does matter. In fact, in The Science of Getting Rich by Waddles, he says, whatever may be said in praise of poverty, the fact remains that it is not possible to live a really complete or successful life until one is rich. No man can rise to his greatest possible height in talent or soul development unless he has plenty of money. And some people are very offended by this opening quote, but I think that there is much wisdom in it. 
And the more we can figure out how to really get our financial lives in order, get a plan, live below our means, have had an emergency fund in retirement and sort of just some, you know, our little baskets of security in motion and growing and slowly incrementing up over time and investing, you know, aggressively enough that it really can work for us. I think until we're doing that, we aren't really going to be in a position to be freed up mentally and emotionally to really do and give those other things that are like just burning inside of us to reach out and to help other people or to grow a gift or to develop a talent. So if you're in a job, if it's nine to five, if it's not ideal, but it you know helps you achieve your financial things praise because I think that is awesome and valid and fantastic and you'll be grateful. If you have found a way to parlay out of that mode and into your own business and you are getting traction and finding ways to bring income in, even Marie Forleo, who I love her stuff about building a business in the life you love. She said when she was getting started, she would bartend, she would wait tables. She did all kinds of odd jobs because she needs that security. And she came from a very well-salaried position. So, you know, it can be done, but you got to be willing to like get in there and really make sure that you aren't having big gaps in your income and that you're really staying on a plan. So those are my thoughts today. Sorry if they're controversial, but I hope for the majority of you, it gave a lot of just a pat on the back to say, hey, if you're showing up to work every day, if you're earning a paycheck, if you're investing and kind of doing things, you know, the unsexy non-Instagram way, I'm all for it. And I totally praise you. Keep up the good work and whatever stage you're at, whatever your situation is, do your very best in that role and keep an eye on your next role your next pivot, and make sure you keep setting goals and make sure you keep your money dreams and your money goals and your money plan in shape and stay on track. I just can't encourage that enough. So I leave this with you and thanks for joining us again. Um, We're at yogawellnessmoney.com. Come on over. We have other podcasts and blog posts that all talk about our health and our money and keeping it all in balance. Have a great day and namaste.